Aloha, I'm Bob Ortega with Honolulu Civil Beat, and this is Hawaii Storytellers. So I was 13, the second and the last time I tried to cross the Atlantic Ocean with my parents on a raft. That sounds a little weird, so yeah, 13 Atlantic Ocean raft. This Hawaii Storytellers features our reporter Jessica Terrell, She had an unusual father and a very unusual childhood, traveling in a family band that, among other adventures, accompanied a circus in Mexico. But as she recounts in this story, sometimes even a highly independent child has to draw the line. I don't know what most of you think of when you hear the word raft. (laughs) Like, maybe you picture something inflatable that you use to get off a sinking ship, or something lashed together to try and escape Cuba. Or maybe you're a literature fan and you think of Mark Twain and Huckleberry Finn and floating down the Mississippi River. Okay, this was not anything like any of those. We built it on an abandoned pier in New York City out of scraps that we had pulled from uh, trash cans and construction, like abandoned construction material. It was 50 feet long and eight feet wide, and it looked like a houseboat made out of very bizarre scraps, just like a quilt, a crazy looking quilt, um, Kevin Costner's Waterworld. Okay, so what were we doing on the raft, right? That's a good question. My parents were sort of eccentric bohemians. Um, We were a family band. They raised us on the road. We lived in boats and um, buses and cars and sometimes just along the side of the road wherever we could find somewhere that was going to be safe. And at some point, my dad started building these rafts as a way of keeping his family from living on the streets. And also because my dad was a guy with really big dreams. I mean, actually, supernova-sized dreams, if you consider the fact that by the time I was 13, he had four teeth left. He hadn't brushed any of them in 25 years. Um, He often wore like a rope around his pants instead of a belt. Um, And he had uh, never finished the eighth grade. He was still one of the smartest guys I've ever met, but you get the idea. He used to tell me this story when I was a kid about uh, like a parable about a woman in China hundreds of years ago who was kidnapped by pirates and spent years at sea and then escaped but got stuck in the jungle and all of these horrible things kept happening to her until she finally made it home decades later and she became like the most famous tent maker in the world because everything that she'd learned on these adventures she put to use. She knew how to work with silk from the sails and bamboo from the forest. And I thought this was a really horrible bedtime story, right? I mean, like, what kind of consolation is it to go through all of this and then you get to be a tent maker? Like, yay, that's great, and I can make tents. But I think he probably told this story because he sensed that his children maybe felt a little bit like these kidnapped creatures on a strange and perilous voyage, which was probably true a lot of the time, but not about this rafting trip because this had been a family decision and I had helped build it. We'd lived on it for years. I was a sailor, I was the navigator, and we had spent two years sailing it up 400 miles or so from New York City to the coast of Maine where we were gonna set off and show that you can do something with nothing and make his big break and make famous. 
We set out in early, uh, early summer, and the first couple days were really calm. And as soon as we got far enough away from shore to no longer be able to see the shoreline or to be able to see any lights, it was amazing at night how many stars there were. Like I had never realized that there were that many stars, that the, that the world, that the universe was so big. I'd also never realized that the raft was so small. <laughs> I was in a, a six by eight foot room, which is about the size of the rug that I'm standing on, I suppose, um, with my mother, two Rottweilers, four cats, and enough canned good supplies to last two months. And I started to freak out a little, you know? As excited as I was for this trip, I started having this feeling like, all right, I'm, I'm freaked out, I don't know what's gonna happen on the trip, but also, it, isn't this sort of every 13-year-old's worst nightmare? You're locked in a room with your parents, you have no television, you have no internet, you have no telephone, you can't talk to anyone else, and there's nowhere to go. So I started saying like a very teenage prayer. I started saying, okay, I don't wanna be the one to say we gotta turn around, I, I, I don't wanna be the one to wuss out on this, but okay, God, I can't promise to be a good girl. I, I already know, I, I'm, I'm not gonna promise that. Like, I'm not gonna be a good girl forever. But if you get me out of this, I will try really, really hard. <laughs> I'm gonna try really hard. And the next day, the wind changed. And our raft stopped sailing into the, into the waves. And it started turning broadside to the waves, which is not something you want on a one-day voyage, let alone 30 or 60. You don't wanna sail across the ocean sideways. So we turned around. And remember if we made it all the way back into shore on our own or if we called a tow, but we got there and we got a hotel room and I had a hot shower for the first time in a while. And then I called my older sister in New York City and said, I think I wanna come there for the summer. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think the, the television and the MTV, this is cool, I think I wanna do this for a little while. I don't remember what my parents said when I made this decision. I don't remember if any of us really realized at the time the gravity of it, that I was leaving and I wasn't coming back. The next summer, um, they sailed across the ocean. It took them 60 days. They went from Newfoundland to Ireland. Um, they, it basically, 60 days across the Atlantic is uh, the speed of walking very slowly across the ocean. <laughs> um, and now I try not to be one of these, I'm a journalist now and I love what I do. And I try not to be one of these people who does like a lot of what ifs, you know, like what if I'd done this or I'd done this, like how would my life be differently, be different. But this is a hard one not to revisit because it was, it was my first big decision. My dad died in 2011 and I lost out on a lot of time with him by leaving then. And as a reporter, I also spend a lot of time talking about other people's great adventures and great achievements. And it's, I think, natural to wonder what it would have been like to have a pretty interesting claim to fame of my own, right? Um, and I thought about it a lot this summer after I moved to Hawaii. Because one of the first um, really big stories that I did here was about this homeless community in Waianae where 200 or 250 people live in tents and shacks and makeshift structures that look a little bit like something maybe my dad would have built for the raft, you know, something pulled together out of pretty much nothing with some tarps. And, um, and one of the ways that I got to know this community was by talking about these experiences that we shared, these random things, like what it's like to, you know, worry about your roof collapsing in the middle of the night or get rainwater out of tarps or the best ways to rig up a lamp out of um, 
using a car battery um, instead of electricity. <laughs> they're, they're pretty good icebreakers. Um, and so after I did this story, after I spent time really revisiting what it had been like to be on the raft, now when I think about these what ifs, and I think about jumping off of it, I think about that story about the, the poor Chinese tent maker. Because if I hadn't gotten off the raft, I wouldn't become a journalist. If I hadn't been on the raft, I wouldn't have had these experiences that allow me to connect in a very different way with people. And so I think about how if we're really lucky, at some point in our lives, all of these seemingly completely random and sometimes difficult experiences that we've had, at some point we can see how they've all been a part of what we're doing now, of being here, of being in Waianae, of being in Hawaii, and of being here tonight. And I think it's a pretty great place to be. So thank you. For more stories from our Hawaii Storytellers events, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher, and visit our site at civilbeat.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter.